Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, I am going to be joined by a great person who's doing a lot to help the world. His name is J.D. Slackerts. He is an American novelist. He's a speaker as well as a philanthropist. He is also a former University of California, Santa Barbara basketball star. So he played college basketball. He just debuted his second novel, Darling, You're Not Alone. So we're going to have him to tell his story and talk about all the wonderful things that he's doing. J.D., thank you so much for joining me today. Curtis, man, I'm honored to be on your show. And, and uh, you're, you're such a such an amazing introduction. And I'm so appreciative of this opportunity. But yeah, I'm looking forward to diving in a little bit on my career as a basketball player, a writer and and all of the above, man. But thank you so much uh, for having me. It really means a lot. Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us. Why don't you just start off by giving, telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, you know, I've had a very interesting story that's taken me a lot of different places in this world. And, you know, I feel very fortunate to have had the opportunities I've been given. But my life and, and kind of who I am as a writer today all really stems back to my really my basketball career as an athlete. And uh, growing up in the kind of greater Los Angeles area, sports was sort of the thing that I hung my hat on and, you know, really helped me kind of find my way in this, this world. And it opened some amazing doors to friendships, relationships, and, and people that really changed my life. And, you know, sort of without me realizing it, Curtis, it kind of led to a lot of the opportunities I got as a writer much later. And, you know, as much as my athletic days are behind me, uh, now with my novel writing, I feel like those those relationships that I had through my athletic career have really, really kind of been built on that. And, you know, I also do a ton of public speaking at charities and fundraisers. And that was something I was even doing as an athlete as well. So, yeah, I, I feel very blessed to have had the opportunities I've had and, and speak about all of them with you today. Well, tell us about your basketball career. Did you have a shot at the NBA or just kind of talk about your basketball career to tell us when you played and your accomplishments? Yeah, sure. So I, I began playing basketball, you know, when I was young, like about two or three years old. And that was sort of all I did. Like I said, I mean, I, I'm, I was a redhead or, and still am a redhead, but I was sort of this undersized kind of energetic redhead on the basketball team that wasn't very talented when I was younger, but just loved the game, man. I had an incredible passion to just be on the team and be one of the guys. And uh, what started sort of to happen was I hit like a very crazy late growth spurt in high school, where I went from five eight my freshman year to all the way to six foot six. And I think what sort of happened, Curtis, was I had that kind of moment where you match like a passion and love for the game with with like a sudden talent, you know, that hadn't been there most of my life. And that's what kind of led to a lot of the opportunities that I got because I've grown so quickly and kind of grown into this, this new body, if you will, that helped me get more recruiting and college opportunities. So I went from having no scholarship offers to getting several different opportunities and ended up deciding to go and play 
at the University of California, Santa Barbara, which is only about two hours, or excuse me, about an hour and a half north of where I lived in Los Angeles. And, you know, that led to even more amazing opportunities. And I met some amazing teammates and people that became some of my best friends. And I had an amazing career there and ended up starting my junior year and carried some great teams, you know, as a part of one of the most winning teams in UC Santa Barbara history, my senior year, I think we were 25 and nine or 23 and nine. And one of my teammates, Gabe Vincent actually made it to the NBA place for the Miami heat. And, you know, for me, uh, what started, what sort of began to happen was as much as I did have perhaps opportunities to play professionally or beyond college, I just felt like a, this sort of pulling urge to do more outside of the game. And that was when I sort of started writing and, and started to look for different outlets, if you will, to pursue my voice and kind of a different passion in that way. And, you know, basketball, I think, gave me the confidence to, to then attack like a brand new uh, opportunity and, 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 you know, go headstrong into it, maybe without some of the experience that most writers have. And yeah, I think I, I think I give a lot of credit to my basketball background for that. All right. Well, talk about some of your biggest influences. Who actually influences you to get into writing and who do you actually read when you need that influence? Yeah, for sure. Well, to me, it was a, there was a very clear moment in my career when I was actually reading a book called Paper Towns by John Green. And John was, uh, you know, he was, I mean, he, he still is. He's such a prolific author and storyteller. And, um, you know, I was always a bit of a reader. Like I always read a lot when I was younger. And that was something that always kind of carried through with me despite anything that I was going through. And I, I read a lot while I was playing basketball too. But for some reason, that book in that specific moment really just stuck with me. And it just kind of, I don't know, it also sort of let me know that there are a lot of different ways to write and to, to take the story of a book into this format where, you know, it doesn't have to be something that's like the, uh, the sort of, you know, really hard to understand or like classical literature. It can be a story that's very simple and sort of inspiring in a different way. And I felt like John Green's voice in Paper Towns kind of you know opened my eyes to all the different ways you can take a story and yeah it really stuck with me and I, I started writing my first book Moonflower shortly thereafter and I've been sort of writing ever since well you you have an interesting you talked about in your bio how coming to be a published author it, it started as a letter exchange to a friend so so tell us about that yeah, so I had this this tremendous relationship with a friend who was this girl I went to college with, and she and I used to write letters to each other all the time. And it was sort of this like kind of platonic, you know, we were just sort of friends and that was it. But what sort of happened was I started to find myself starting to kind of fall in love with her. And, you know, being that she was my best friend, I knew that could be problematic for our friendship. But I would write to her all the time. And what sort of began was I would write to her so much and she was abroad. She was studying abroad in Rome when we were in college together. You know, I found myself writing to her so, with so much that I actually sort of had the idea like, you know, why don't I stop writing her letters so much and then actually write a book about her and I. And so what kind of happened was, you know, Curtis to backtrack a bit is I sort of went from, you know, loving John Green and reading his prose and falling in love with Paper Towns to then wanting to write letters all the time to friends. And then letter writing ended up leading into the creation of my first novel, Moonflower. And 
there's actually letters from me and my friend I spoke about in that book that sort of are inspired by it. And I actually handwrite the first drafts of all my novels for that reason. I almost try to capture that lightning in a bottle of writing like a first handwritten draft. Well, let's talk about how you you were asked to deliver the commencement speech at your alma mater in 2019. So tell us about how how that came about and how you uh, what what you talked about to the students. Yeah, for sure. And I'm so I'm so happy you brought that up. It's, you know, to be honest, and I've said this to others, too, is I really do feel like that was the greatest achievement of my life, like bigger than writing a book or even bigger than writing a second book was being asked to return to my alma mater, you know, a year after I graduated to give a commencement address. And, you know, what, I mean, I had, I had old teammates of mine that were in the audience that day, you know, and guys, brothers of mine that I'd gone to battle with for years that I got to, you know, give them, give them a handshake and kind of welcome them into adulthood after that. And yeah, I mean, I worked day and night on that speech and would run through, trial runs of it. And I was so nervous, man, walking up there to do that that day. And yeah, what a feeling. I mean, I, you know, and what I tried to do was I tried to speak about, and you know, for those of you out there listening, you can find that full speech online on YouTube if you just Google my name and the speech. But I was just hoping to sort of give really my peers some stories of inspiration that sort of could could hopefully maybe lend a helping hand to anybody that's maybe a little bit afraid of this big world that's out there beyond college and, and give them some lessons about, you know, mishaps I'd had or places I'd messed up along my road and, and, and the people that had helped me along the way and, and kind of let them know that they had people like that in their lives too. And that I would be one of those people as well. So. Well, three weeks after your debut novel was published, you lost your home in a wildfire, but you didn't, I'm not sure you probably were devastated by it, but you turned it around and you used it to help other people. So, so tell us what happened and, and what you did to, to help others during your tragedy. Yeah, for sure. So three weeks after my first book was published, yeah, my home burned down in the Woolsey fire. And that was a terrible situation and one that, you know, really stuck with me because, you know, I think what happens is like, you, you sort of remember like the morning of that occurrence going down and you think about all the things you're trying to grab and you know when when they come by and tell you you need to evacuate your house you never really feel like you're never going to come back to that place and so you end up just grabbing the quickest things you can before you leave and yeah to not be able to return to my home and see all the little items and mementos i've grown up around and there anymore was pretty tragic but ultimately curtis and i I really feel like this truth behind that is you're still whole right? Like you're still, you know, you're healthy, you're okay. You have all, you know, you still have so much despite having lost what is, are these material things that are valuable, but they're replaceable and it's clothes, it's shoes, it's a bunch of things that you can get again. And I was so touched by the generosity of others. And, you know, I'd had this whole speaking tour aligned for my first book and a lot of people weren't sure if we should cancel it or what we should do. And I sort of said, Hey, you know what, what it wouldn't it be an amazing thing if we decided to donate my book sales to the other people that are maybe in need. So yeah, we decided to launch a campaign called Moonflowers for Malibu where a hundred percent of my book sales were donated to the Woolsey fire disaster relief for the American Red Cross. And I ended up becoming a national ambassador for the American Red Cross. And I got to travel with them to other sites of tragedies and 
other meet other victims of of the same thing that I'd gone through. And you know, me and my Red Crosses are still very close to this day. And I feel very fortunate to have had uh, you know a tremendous group of support around me, and I was able to kind of give back a little bit too, which was pretty cool. Absolutely, you you also play a big role, and I hope I say this name right. And the and the Luck Strong Foundation. So yeah, kinda, Luke Luke Strong. Luke yeah. Strong. Okay, wasn't sure if it was Luke or Luck, but tell us about that and and what you do for that and and how that came about and what that organization does. Yes, for sure. So the Luke Strong Foundation is a registered five hundred one c three nonprofit that supports children that are diagnosed with sickle cell disease, and it's named after a friend of mine that passed away from sickle cell disease, named Luke Bodden. And Luke was my best friend. Uh, he was someone that used to go to all my games as an athlete. And I actually met him when he was only six years old. And he used to come to all my basketball games in high school at Oak Park High School and kind of the you know, northern Los Angeles area. And uh, he was an incredible kid, man. I, uh, I was so humbled and sort of honored to have had this, this little, yeah, like I said, this little kid that thought I was like the best. <laughs> and, and he kind of, really inspired me. And so we had this incredible bond and friendship up until all my days in Santa Barbara. And then when he tragically passed away at the age of 10 on September 14, 2016. And, you know, it's also my, my first book, Moonflower is equally inspired by Luke and his story. And, you know, he was someone that touched my life tremendously. And now his parents went on to go and, and found the Luke Strong Foundation, which is that nonprofit. And it's named it after Luke. And we give back to kids that are diagnosed with sickle cell disease. And, you know, for any of you out there listening, if you are uh, have the means to donate, please go ahead and find out more information about Luke and the Luke Strong Foundation at LukeStrong.org. Any, any donation, any amount is helpful. And uh, yeah, we'll go to families in need that have children that are diagnosed with sickle cell disease. So. Well, tell us about your your latest book. Tell us how that how that book came about. Yeah, yeah. So my new book, Darling, You're Not Alone, was published just last month. It's been a it's been a fun, crazy ride of trying to get the book out there into as many hands as possible. And I've been very, very, very fortunate to see it so warmly received by so many different people. And you know, it's an it was an incredible story to write, Curtis, and that it wasn't a book that I physically had a you know an a literal experience too. And that, you know, Moonflower, my first novel was very real because it was written about my friend I wrote those letters to and also Luke. And, you know, these were real people in my life, but Darling, You're Not Alone was my first step, I think, really into true fiction. And Darling, You're Not Alone is the fictional account of a 15-year-old named Phoenix who is, you know, a kid who's sort of growing up in the small town of Darling, Colorado in the year 1999. And he, uh, it sort of feels alone in this world and is sort of searching for something more that must be out there given that, you know, life can't be all gloomy and sad and, and sort of dark. And uh, he continues to sort of find this light despite this darkness when tragically he finds himself in the center of a school shooting at his high school, Darling High School. And the book really begins after Phoenix has to go through this traumatic event and uh, continues on and carries into this realization that, you know, tragedy is around all of us. And, you know, whether it's a losing your home in a fire or a school shooting, as I wrote about in my new book or anything really. And I think we, as the people that live on have to find these ways to sort of continue to carry the light, despite 
these this darkness we've seen and dealt with. And I'd like to think that although Darling You're Not Alone is a very heavy and kind of intense book, it's also a very hopeful one in that it can, you know, bring a lot of hope to people that maybe have been through a tough time, but are still trying to find a way to carry on. And uh, yeah, Phoenix is a character that I care a lot about, obviously, as you can imagine. And it's a book that took me three years to write, but I'm really excited that it's finally out and into the world. So since violence is such a hot button issue these days, did you have any reservations about using that, that school shooting as a part of your book? Yeah, you know, it's an interesting question. And I think, to be honest, not at all. I mean, I think uh, we have to write about the things that are real and happen. And I think, you know, you can be met with skepticism and criticism, no matter what you do or write about. And uh, my hope was that I would be writing about a topic that, you know, is a bit jarring, and, and it obviously is a very sad thing. But it also is a reality that our, our world is facing. And these these things do happen now with an increasing regularity. And my hope is that my book obviously isn't going to solve all the world's problems, but can maybe can maybe give us a chance to talk about it a little bit more and 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 maybe work towards a common middle ground and and you know because I think the reality is a lot of families out there are concerned about this thing and 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 do want to talk about it and yeah I wanted to to try and tell a story that would give me the chance to maybe share some of my insight into it as well. Describe to the the listeners your your particular writing process. Yeah, I mean, my writing process is one that I'm, I've become a bit obsessive about, for sure. If that's a if that's the appropriate word, is is I uh, actually handwrite all of my entire first drafts uh, because I, I feel like it it gives me the the creative and sort of quiet space to create and be away from like you know social media and cell phones and computers and emails and all these sort of things that connect us, which is amazing. But I do think in order to truly write, you have to have that kind of separation and be given the chance to to truly, you know, kind of tap into that well of creativity that's inside us. And for me, that's handwriting and uh, handwritten all the books I've written. And, uh, you know, another reason why I do that, Curtis, is because it also lets me see the progress I'm physically making in the book I'm writing, right? Like I can actually see page one page two, you know, they're, they're like tangible things. Whereas on a laptop, it's more like just a one blank, you know, one screen with words on it that you can't really touch and feel. So yeah, handwriting is a very personal thing to me. And, you know, I'd say another thing that is a part of my process is music. Uh, I love listening to music while I write. And I have certain songs that go to certain projects and certain scenes and certain projects. And I keep playlists that kind of like, let me know where I'm at in the story. And yeah. I always listen to music while I write, dude. So that's another little part of my process. But yeah, that's that's a, a little bit about me and my writing process. Have you ever had to deal with writer's block? And if so, how did you deal with it? You know, truthfully, I really don't feel like I have. I think I've, I've obviously heard about writers that deal with writer's block. And I'm not saying it isn't a real thing. Because uh, I've definitely had days where I feel like the writing isn't moving as quickly as it does on other days, for sure. But I'm always very honest with myself about trying to get just a little bit closer or another another paragraph down or another sentence down. And, you know, some days I'll have days where I write just a paragraph or some days I'll write eight pages. It really depends on how I'm feeling. But I think my biggest problem I've found is I've got too many different book ideas to be able to write all of them. So trying to focus on the current 
project is is probably my biggest issue not so much the actual writer's blog itself but yeah that is something i've thought about for sure what advice would you give aspiring writers out there who are having trouble trying to get their writing career off the ground yeah for sure i think i would just tell them to not worry so much about being a perfectionist that's some advice that I give. I feel like a lot of writers I meet because people can be very hard on themselves when they're just getting started. And I think, you know, anybody that's going to pack the task that is writing a novel or a book is you got to, you're going to go through some pretty rough drafts. I mean, I mean, and I mean, rough, literally. My first drafts are always pretty rough and not exactly well fleshed out or uh, don't have the, you know, the strongest vocabulary or the, or the most, you know, carried through storyline. But I like to think that that's just a that's just a step in the direction of what it is to, to write a novel. And uh, I know in the end product, it looks like it's all pretty and perfect, and the margins are set, and the grammar is all correct, and and the tie, the the cover looks beautiful. But trust me, there's a lot of sort of kind of uh, not pretty parts of writing a book, and you got to just sort of power through them. I mean, like any project, you know, like I'm sure putting this podcast together for you, it's like getting all the recordings together, editing them, the clips and getting the new next guest. It's like every, you know, people are get, get used to seeing just the end result, but it's, it's falling in love with that, that kind of initial that I think is truly important. And that's what I would give advice to any writers. Most definitely. Do you have any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about? A couple of different projects. I have a new novel that is in the process of uh, being written and starting to get going with. And then uh, I also have a trilogy project. So the first one is like a standalone novel. And then the other one is a one in a three-part series that I'm working on. And, and both are kind of in different stages. And I'm not sure which is going to be released first. Uh, but I'm excited to kind of see where those may go and hopefully be out in the next year or so. But yeah, for now, it's just the, the two books that I have out in a short story called Joining the Choir Invisible. Well, so we can keep up with everything that, that you're doing and that you're going to be up to. Go ahead and throw out your contact information. Yeah, please. For any of you out there listening, you can find me on my website, www.jdwritesbooks.com. You can also find me on my publisher's website, www.summerhousepublishing.co. And you can also go directly to the website for my new book, Darling, You're Not Alone at darlingyourenotalone.com. You can also find me, you know, and more information about the Luke Strong Foundation at lukestrong.org. And then you can find me on my social media at both Twitter and Instagram at JD underscore slackers. Would love to interact with you, talk with you, anybody out there who, you know, is, is interested in any of my books or stories. It means the world to me. I hope you, you know, go out there and, and enjoy some of these books. All the books are available on Amazon. On my website, you can find them and also on Barnes and Noble. So you can find them pretty easily wherever you're searching for books. Uh, close us out with some final thoughts. Maybe something I forgot to touch on that you would like to talk about or just any final thoughts you have for the listeners. Yeah, for sure, Curtis. And I would say thank you so much for having me on your show, man. Number one, it's been a it's total pleasure to speak with you and to interact with you. You do a tremendous job. And, uh, you know, I would just say that, and this is something I feel you know very passionate about, is anybody that feels like they're going through a tough time or is, is having maybe a tough holiday season or a tough year even, um, remember that you're not alone. There's so many people that love and care about each and every one of us out there. And my, my hope is that I could, I could maybe shine a little bit of light in this interview and through any books I write 
for that reason. I think this is a very complex and intricate world, but I think if we if we continue to believe that there are good people out there, you'd be surprised at how amazing your life can be. And, you know, just keep going, keep battling no matter what. And, uh, you know, I hope, uh, as I said, I hope any of my projects can be sort of a calling or a light for those people that maybe are having a tough time. Absolutely. J.D. Slackert's definitely a inspirational person. Be sure to check him out. Follow him on social media. Check out his websites. Donate if you feel inclined to. If you enjoyed this episode of the show in particular, please be sure to tell a friend. Follow, rate, review. Share this episode to as many people as possible. J.D., thank you so much for joining me today. Curtis, pleasure, man. Thank you. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.